with us. Every Tuesday, Mike Griffith, AJC's Dog Nation, spin in Indianapolis with a combine. Griff, how did it go? How was your trip? It was busy. A lot of Georgia guys there, a lot of news. Um, man, a lot of guys going in and out. So it's uh, always productive when you go there. You get kind of a peek at, at what's ahead in the NFL and some of the emerging players. We knew Nolan Smith was a very good football player, without question, but those numbers he put up were crazy. Yeah, it was freakish. You know, I, I was actually going through, I did a kind of a story on comparing, you know, the current uh, elite Georgia players versus some of the elite Georgia players of the past numbers-wise. I, I couldn't find a, a comp for Nolan that was 239 and ran a 4.39. The closest I got was, was Boss Bailey in terms of how explosive uh, Nolan is on the broad jump and the vertical. He vertical 41.5 inches, which is just nuts, like you said. Boss Bailey was kind of freakish like that. Leonard Floyd, another one. A couple of the former Georgia guys that had the same sort of explosivity, but I couldn't find anybody with those numbers with that four three nine pursuit. I mean, that's just amazing. And to think Georgia, you know, won a national title without, and you hear all these teams crying about, you know, not having this receiver or that player, and you realize Georgia didn't have Nolan Smith after the Florida game and still won the national title going away. Allen down in middle Georgia says, Griff, and he, this is his opinion, I think C.J. Allen linebacker Peyton Woodring kicker could make some noise this spring. Ask Griff which new roster addition for the Bulldogs should we expect to make an impact this year coming up? Well, I mean, the, the transfers, honestly, you know, love it from Missouri in the slot. Ra-Ra Thomas recently had charges dropped. Um, so you'll see him, I think, at the X. I mean, those guys are probably the the two most impactful players. It's it's hard to project kickers. I mean, they've, you know, Zirkel's still on the roster. He's a scholarship kicker. Um, so it's, it's really hard to, to predict who's going to make an impact out of the freshman class just because Georgia's so deep. And, you know, there's almost experience at every spot. Um, you know, they got a safety coming in, Aguero, that I, that I believe is, is pretty special. But, I you know, Malachi Starks is a second-year player. Uh, you know, Dan Jackson will be back. So it's hard to say what's going to happen at, at safety. But, but those would be the guys, you know, the, the two transfers, Mississippi State receiver and the Missouri receiver that are coming in. I mean, you're right, Griff. There's not a lot of jobs to be had right now there on that roster. Starting Not jobs. by newcomers. Yeah, not by newcomers. I mean, you look for Barry Alexander to make a big move inside with Jalen Carter moving on. I, I, I don't know if Georgia can maintain the – level of play they've had in that interior defensive line. I mean, with Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt, now Jalen Carter will be a first-round pick. I don't know if there's another first-round pick uh, in the works there. I mean, they'll still be strong. It's what they do. But, um, yeah, I mean, and then again, like I said, you look at the schedule, and it's it's very forgiving in the sense that, you know, this should allow the Georgia team to kind of grow into the season um, and, and with whoever the new quarterback's going to be, which is, you know, very much up in the air. Griff. The next time I write an article would be my first time. So that's not what I do. But I have a suggestion for you who you're a pro with this. And you might have already done this article. I just missed it. Sometime this spring or maybe right after that, and let's say you're just kind of looking around for an idea. How about a comparison, and you worked in both places, between the 21 Georgia defense and the 92 Alabama defense? How about a write-up on that? Well, that'd be a, that'd be a lot. 
I, you, are you asking me to exclude the 98 Tennessee defense? Because that group was pretty special too now with, with Al Wilson and Raynock Thompson and Eric Westmoreland at linebacker. And uh, you, know, you think about the secondary with Fred White and Deion Grant, uh, Steve Johnson, uh, Dwayne Goodrich, uh, Jeff Coleman up front, Sean Big Cat Ellis on the end. I mean, I, I'd put 98 Tennessee defense with, with either one of those two. All right, well, do all three. How long would that take you to do this? <laughs> Probably too long for something that would do nothing but get me canceled on Twitter and hated by every SEC fan base that didn't say their team was the best. It, it, it's it's really impossible, Bill, in, in, serious, in all seriousness, right. because, you know, they were all the best at their generation. Um, they were all elite, and the game changed. I mean, what Bama 92 looks like compared to uh, Georgia – uh, 2022 or 2021 to Tennessee 98, you know, they were all built to beat different teams and they were all built, um, you know, with different complementary offenses in mind. The, the one thing you think about with all three of those defenses is that their offenses weren't explosive or dynamic. I mean, er, that, that's probably the wrong word. Their offenses weren't putting up record breaking numbers. I mean, T Martin could be dynamic with the deep ball, the peerless price whenever he wanted uh, Alabama had the deuce on offense, David Palmer, and certainly, um, you know, Georgia last year had its weapons with Brock Bowers and, and uh, Darnell Washington at tight end and McConkie on the perimeter. But those weren't prolific offenses. When you think about 92 Bama, 98 Tennessee, and 2021 or 2022 Georgia, you don't consider those the greatest offenses of all time. You do, however, consider their defenses great. Um, and, and a lot of it was how they chose to play offense because they had great defenses. They, their strategy was different. They played field position football. They called things conservatively to avoid the turnovers because they knew they had defenses that were good enough that offenses couldn't drive the field on them. Conversely, when we think of you know some of the quote-unquote all-time great teams as decided by some plug in the name of a national writer who didn't see it firsthand – it's all by the stats and the numbers of who scores the most points. Um, and I don't know that that's fair. So I'm glad you give those teams credit uh, because I don't think that they don't, they don't get their due in the annals of greatness um, because of how people judge, you know, offenses being more important than defenses. Mike Griffith, HAC's Dog Nation. Okay. Jalen Carter. Let me just give you my quick spiel. I don't think the NFL – Cares. No, there, there, certainly two people die. That's horrific, okay? That is not what I'm suggesting. That is a horrible outcome. But let's say Jalen Carter's drag racing, um, and they didn't find alcohol in his system, or they, they said they did not suspect he was on anything. Is he really going to get docked some draft spots because of that? I don't know. Um, I don't think so. You know, I don't either. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's a tragedy. It's sad that, you know, he was involved uh, that night in any way, shape, or form, whether he was driving behind him or racing or, you know, I don't know, all the evidence hasn't come out. But, you know, it's um, especially since Jalen had had a ticket uh, earlier in the year. Um, you know, he had a super fast car. To me, this is kind of one of the unintended, unintended consequences of NIL is that players have money uh, at their disposal for, you know, things maybe they wouldn't ordinarily afford. Um, and certainly a, a Jeep Trackhawk, I, I think they cost around $190,000, $100,000, part of an NIL deal, a car that goes 0 to 60 in three seconds. 
you know, I, I don't know that a 19, 20, 21 year old needs something like that. That's that's for the old guys like me and you, Bill. We we need we need the fast cars to, to feel young again. But but no, in all seriousness, um, it's uh, it was unfortunate, sad. You know, the warrant was out for his arrest. He had to leave the combine and go back. It was a bad look uh, for Georgia and for Jalen Carter. Um, but it goes back to me that like a lack of transparency, right? Everybody's complaining like, oh, my gosh, they held that story until the combine. Well, folks, you know, Jalen and his agent have had a month to tell his story and get it out there. And, and, you know, they didn't want to. Why? Because a lot of times stuff like that doesn't come out. The program, University of Georgia's had plenty of time to talk about all the details, but they haven't because they'll tell you that it's an ongoing investigation. Well, as information comes out and becomes public, this is part of the equation that the, the general public doesn't understand. We can't just go to the police and say, tell us everything you know. We can't just go to Georgia and say, tell us everything you know. They've got stipulations in there. Uh, before they will release information to the public, they can hold it back for a while. So you have to do something called a FOIA, which is called which is a Freedom of Information Act. And different states have different laws governing how long they can keep that information private before they have to share it with the public, even though it should be public knowledge. And um, you know, Georgia and Alabama are two of the states that have you know some of the more stringent what we call sunshine laws. Uh, where they can keep that information away from the public longer uh, for whatever reason. So there's your, your course in FOIAs today. But it's not always the big bad media trying to hold it, not giving you the information. It's the institutions and the public entities that keep the information withheld, um, sometimes up to the, the legal limit that they you know keep it away from you as long as they possibly can. Now, I've got your room in the Bill King suite up at the Omni if you're coming in. I'm assuming you're not coming. Not coming. Not coming, you know, and, and we talked about it because it looks like you know Georgia's got. I mean, for a team that's lost four or five in a row, they, they've got about as favorable of a draw as you can get in the sense that you know they play LSU first, which is one of the teams they beat this year. Then they play Vandy, which was a game they played really close uh, in Athens, and then they play Kentucky, which is a team Georgia beat this year. So, um, but no, I, I don't think we're going to be there uh, at least not for the opener. Um, you know, I, like you mentioned, I just came off uh, about a week on the road uh, in Indianapolis uh, at the Combine. And, of course, we got to start at Georgia spring football next week. So it's been a very busy offseason for football uh, here in Athens, as you know. Uh, but, yeah, that, that should be very entertaining. And, and, and there will obviously be a lot of commentary. I saw that the Alabama player won player of the year and freshman of the year. And, um, you know, that nobody let the off-the-court issues deter them from voting that way. So that's interesting to me. And there was some, not, not that I'm saying they should have, but, um, you know, full speed ahead for Alabama basketball. We'll say that we'll see what happens. Spring football. Do they give you better access than let's say the summer and the fall? No, no, it's worse. <laughs> uh, it's worse, you know, because they don't have to one and two, it's all it is for Kirby is a potential distraction. And, you know, if it doesn't help him win championships, he's not going to do it. Simple as that. Yeah. Well, guess what? It's working. He's winning championships, and he's yeah, going to be favored you know, to win Yeah, but in 98, every one of those Tennessee football practices was open. Alabama practices were open. South, Southern Cal's practices were open. I don't think access has a bit to do anything to do with it, Bill. I think it's a comfort zone for a coach. Um, and, and to be frank, I'm, I'm okay with it. You know, they can do whatever they want. I mean, now if I was a young reporter and I hadn't been to 
10 or 15 years worth of open practices and really understood how, you know, they make the sausage, that, that would put me at a big disadvantage. Um, but, but I've seen it. I understand it. I know what goes on. Um, nothing really changes but the names and the faces, frankly. So I don't need to see practice to have an idea what's going on. I, I know plenty of people that, uh, you know, involved in the program that um, have proven pretty accurate and reliable in terms of sourcing. And, you know, what do we really need to know right now? Do we need to know that this quarterback had a better day Tuesday, but that quarterback had a better day Wednesday? I'll say this. One of my favorite seasons at Tennessee was the 2000 season. Was it 2000 or was it 99? It was 2000. The 2000 season when Casey Clawson came in along with John Rattay and Joey Matthews was coming back and uh, A.J. Suggs was a second-year quarterback, and and Philip Fulmer and Randy Sanders opened up every single spring practice. The stadium was open, too. People could go in there and watch practices at Neyland Stadium on the weekend, and they had a full-fledged quarterback battle between those four quarterbacks. All of them ran the same plays in different orders, and it was it was out there for the public to see. It was and it was fantastic. It was just it was just such a fantastic. Tennessee under Fulmer was so open um, because the, the Vols fans loved it. There was a passion. I used to write estimated attendance at the clo- and then I'd put it closed practice. I, you know, I put closed practice in parentheses because there'd be three or four thousand people in Neyland Stadium for the scrimmages on the weekend in the spring. And, and you know what, Bill? It didn't hurt a damn thing. Nobody got hurt by that. No, no, it didn't cost Tennessee any games. There were no secrets. The kids played in front of audiences. They've got a good idea of who the best players were and who would perform under the bright lights. It was ingenious, and and they got donors out of it and boosters and people became. It was just such a great idea and such a good execution by Tennessee. Now maybe some practices, maybe some places, fans wouldn't turn out, but boy, I'll tell you what. In Knoxville, you know, we'd have between three and five thousand at those scrimmages on the weekends, uh, particularly that year of the quarterback battle. Um, when everybody's keeping their own stats, you're just watching it. You know, no, nothing's hidden. And you know, Fulmer was a guy that was like, "Hey, you know, you guys saw it today. What'd you think?" You know, Philip Philip gets a bad rap by a lot of people that weren't around when he was the head coach. Let me tell you, he did some great things to grow that that Tennessee football program. Bill Griff, safe travels. Although you're not planning on traveling, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> I appreciate it, Bill. Have a good one. Yeah, man. There he is, Griff.